and like the whole night, literally, I'm not even joking, all that was going through my mind, and I could and I didn't say it out loud to anyone, was like, oh my God, what if I'm dead in a few months? I'm Jason. And I'm Maddie. And this is Making Sense of Chaos. A podcast about death and dying, love, grief and hope. On our show, we talk to all kinds of people who through various trajectories have found themselves trying to explain the unexplainable. Trying to accept the unacceptable. Trying to make sense of chaos. I'm 24 years old. My birthday was actually last week, so I'm freshly freshly 24. I'm in the middle of a staff education degree. Um, I've, like, spent most of my life working in, like, volunteer organisations. Organizations. I did, like, you know, three or four years with Nanny Youth and Welfare. I was, like, leader there. And I'm looking to like, get myself involved in, you know, education within in the wider like sphere and more focusing on like marginalized groups, like students with disability um, and things like that. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm still living at home. I want to move out soon, but, you know, a couple of things got in the way of that lately. Um, a bit of a yeah. 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 And what, kind of things got in the way of you moving out um so in november last year um i was just like driving in the car and driving in the car, what else would you be driving and um i like scratched my neck and i was like that's so weird what is that i felt this like um have like a hard strawberry size type thing in my neck and i was like that's so weird and my brain like some reason assumed that like right above, above my collarbone like muscle would be like protruding and I was kind of like oh whatever like I'll ask my mom because she's a nurse so obviously forgot about it because I was in the middle of waiting for my exams and then like 10 days later the day before my one of my final exams I um realized it was still there and I was like that's so weird okay I'm gonna go ask my mom and my mom looked at it and she was like Nuh-uh, honey. That is not cute. That is not something we... Is that her phrasing? That is not cute. It's <laughs> not cute. Um, and, yeah, we went straight to the doctor. And a few days later, I was diagnosed with um, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, and, yeah, that was... So now that was, like, I don't know, seven months ago. And a lot has happened since then. Um, it's almost crazy to talk about because I kind of feel like it's just something that I, that's happened now and my life's kind of, you know, moving forward. But it's, I forget, like, how much of an impact it's actually had sometimes. And then you just get a bit of a jolt of, like, oh, yeah, that happened. That's kind of what got in the way of things going on in my life it was actually like a really pivotal time when I got diagnosed it was the day of my final exam I'd just gotten a new job that I was like loving um what and was I the just, job? 
job was um i'm sure you guys would have heard of you know aba like yeah behavioral therapy for students children with autism yeah so i was going to be working as a behavioral therapist and that's like you know as i explained before right up my alley in terms of things that i'd want to be doing and i was so grateful for the opportunity so excited the workplace was like amazing um and so yeah uni job and i'd also literally was like six weeks fresh into um new relationship and um yeah it it was like (laughs) a lot looking back on it now um like yeah it's like a little bit i haven't like emotional about it for a long time but i think now i like kind of am because it's just like i haven't thought about it much it's weird how like when huge things happen to you it just kind of once it's happened there's a bit of like a sense of you know apathy like um thinking about something and like for so long kind of it it's like you just get used to the fact that it happened kind of thing um and you forget like how absolutely terrifying and horrendous and shocking like you know things are until like you actually sit down and properly like think about them and survival mode yeah to distance from it yeah exactly um and yeah ever since when i was like i i struggled like lot with anxiety when in my later teens like when I was 18 and 19 years old I was a really anxious person and then that kind of like subsided um and I learned how to deal with it and then yeah ever since all of this it's definitely like come back which is a whole other like a whole other way obviously but yeah it's funny how like I don't really feel like the person I was before um really ever gonna like be found again if that makes sense like I'm too like I almost feel like I'm like look at photos of myself not just the hair um it's everything I look at photos of myself and I'm like whoa who is that um I don't even remember that person um it's it's really intense because I also think there's like the word cancer is like a really big word and like especially um young people like I wouldn't know how to deal with it if one of my friends or maybe I would hope that I would know how to deal with it now but um it's almost like this word that we just like don't think our lives will ever you know at this stage in our lives that will ever be like something associate ourselves with Mm -hmm. um Mm. and it's just it's almost I'm like whoa okay that happened you know when you mentioned like your life splitting in two, like you had the person before you had cancer and the person that you are now, um, what I guess this might be hard for you to answer, but what do you think are the key differences in terms of like even like the way you thought about things and the way you thought about the world, the way you thought about yourself, your relationships? I'd like to answer that by saying that I worry a lot less about the little things I really thought that that would be the case um I remember there were a couple times throughout my um treatment where I was in the hospital 
I stayed for quite a few days. Um, and how I was admitted, I was at hospital for 10 days. And I remember sitting in the bed and thinking, like, all I want to do is to be able to go home. Like, that's all I want. And I was thinking, like, anything that I've worried about, like, up until, you know, this time in my life has been absolutely trivial. Like, what, what are the things I'm worrying about? If I have my health, like, what, what else matters? Um, I remember that so clearly. And now, yeah, when you ask, like, you know, the person before and the person now, I expected to come out and be like, wow, like I really have such a like wholesome perspective of life on life and I I really like, you know, don't worry about the insignificant things anymore and something irritates me, I can brush it off and really see the bigger picture. And I and I and I really wish that that was what it was. Um to be honest, I think that that's kind of this weird like expectation of when someone goes through a, like a chronic experience it's like the life continues like life isn't just you know um I thought I thought that it would be so different um but it's really not and that's like the weirdest part it's, it's more like my like outlook on the future um the future makes me really actually like Anxious, thinking about um, any random day, feeling that with like maybe feel maybe like finding something else. So that's a really you know morbid way of looking at it. That's like the main thing. Another thing is having this worry I didn't have before that like none of my friends can really understand. If that makes sense, like. None of my family, none of my friends, no one really, except for, you know, other people in the cancer community who have met through this experience um, about like a relapse or about like um, my future or about like any kind of health thing. If, if you were to look at, you know, for, from your vantage point now to your former self, how do you feel about your former self? Okay. Um. I think this is something that I yeah didn't touch on earlier. I think it's my former self, like a year ago. I was just super like um, naive, I think, and I think everyone. I want to actually generalize. I think a lot of people, myself included, <laughs> are. Um, very much of the opinion that oh that's terrible that's so sad that happened to that person but that will never be me kind of thing mm. um, yeah and that's very much where I see I where I how I see my former self like I was a naive like carefree innocent woman essentially um, and while I did have you know stuff going on in my life my my worries were mostly trivial. Um, and yeah, it's that like lack of innocence that I feel as looking back on her, like even referring to her as like me, you know, um, and just, just the overall sense of like a different understanding of 
or, or the fact that maybe you know myself a year ago didn't really know what was facing her that just that just blows my mind because I'm like wow like not know um it's also a sense of like might sound like a little bit graphic but like thing I thought about for a while after I got sick was that old me didn't know that there was something so like intrusive like forming in her body like you know what I mean by that um there was something mm. so like deadly mm. it was like relating my body and like I didn't even know you know that whole just what process really sometimes like freaks me out and I just yeah I see her as someone who maybe although it's impossible to know wasn't so in touch with herself yeah it's 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 like it's that example that you you use that the something you know growing in you the intrusiveness it's 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 really like that truth versus reality sort of spectrum you know where you know your reality was so different to what was really going on without you knowing it you know the the real truth so to speak and um you know and, and this experience has given you the truth you know and now it's your reality and, and you know and and now they're 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 formed as one um yeah. rather than you know living as you said you know naively for 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 part of your life um so in in that instance sort of how do you you sort of talked about how you sort of view your former self but how do you view just sort of the cancer in, in you know, independent yeah. of yourself that's a really cool question um my mom always told me never to refer to the cancer as like my cancer because that was kind of giving ownership and saying that it was you know something that I had something that was mine um but in reality why would I want to own something like that if it's only you know essentially trying to kill me like um I I never really went through like a phase of like anger to be honest um so I never really felt like angry towards the cancer or whatever but I, I kind of see it as just I remember when this is you know more of a tangible way of thinking about it I guess I remember when I saw like the image of like cancer in my body on my doctor's room for the first time and I was like Whoa. like that's huge what the hell like how how does that even like how have I not felt that? Like, what is, is happening? How is that there? I'm just, I, I remember being like looking at myself in the mirror and being like, there is something so big, like in my body right now, and I can't even feel it. So, to be honest, I kind of see it as like a bit of a, a bit of a wake up call for the rest of my life. That's kind of like how I view it. I'm like, okay. You, this cancer is like this bad thing inside of me and I'm going to get rid of it. I want to get rid of it. But like I want to use it as like I don't want this just to, you know, be something I survive and then that's that's done. Like 
I is this intruder that like I want to learn a lesson from almost has that has that sort of um changed your experience of the rest of life in terms of you know what you're studying where you want your career to go Um, has it had any bearing on that yeah absolutely um I was speaking with um my dad and I was telling him that you know I I've kind of always been stuck between two career paths like I've loved informal ed but I also am really interested in psychology and I really would love to be a psychologist um and when you get diagnosed with cancer they kind of refer you to an oncological psychologist so like psychologist who specializes in people who have been diagnosed with cancer or those affected by people with cancer um I was referred to a wonderful woman and um like helped me throughout my all my treatment and then after I was kind of just like oh my god like what would I have done without her like I I really was the kind of thing where I sat there and I was like I could just completely unload onto her like I could like I could do with no one else and kind of realized I would absolutely love to work with be a psychologist for someone with you know a disease or um, a debilitating um, like diagnosis I just think that I like after seeing how much it helped me I'm like why wouldn't I want to deliver that to others because there are so many like hundreds of thousands of other people in the world who go through this on a daily basis like looking at the stats of people like in youth in particular who are diagnosed with cancer it's absolutely heartbreaking and like families and I saw how much it affected my family I was just like oh my god like every one person who gets diagnosed with cancer like they have a family they have a partner they have kids they have grandparents like if I can help that in the future that's what I want to do it's amazing yeah and I I think that you know for me working in the field um having never experienced um what a lot of my clients are going through which is mainly drug use and alcohol use um to to a really severe um point you know where their the addiction has ruined their whole life the the times where I feel most sort of inadequate in the career is when I think there is still this tiny barrier between us because I haven't actually experienced what you're going through. Like I've got the the scientific ability to um, help you in some ways, but I still will never really fully get it. And yeah. like, so I think that your standpoint, um, it just, it brings in the empathy and the connection to a whole new level. Um and yeah, I think I think you've been an amazing clinician in that sense. Yeah, that's really kind. Yeah. yeah. I think in terms of like the whole experience side of things, I remember when I met my oncologist and she's never she's never been through cancer. Um I've like my whole experience, except for my psychologist. I haven't I haven't met someone who 
was as like in touch with my feelings as she was and like she'd never been through anything like mm-hmm. like this so I think like yeah I completely understand what you're talking about in terms of like that little like that sits between experience and like an understanding or experience and knowledge i also think that there's like a lot of power and like understanding and empathy and like mm. all that yeah yeah I, I i tend to agree with with you Gemma. i mean i was quite before you started talking about your the the, the psychologist i was going to ask if they've had um, previous history of any sort of diagnosis that could, um, but I think I think it I think it's it, it's really difficult because the, the experience side of it is often a barrier to to why people don't seek out support. And mm. there's a lot there's a lot more that is to be said about empathy, compassion, and and that really attentive care. You know, I think that's that's what's missing sometimes yeah. is that attentiveness to, to someone else's experience. Um, I think you can help someone if you have that, regardless of whether you've experienced it, because everyone's unique experience is unique, regardless of, you know, whether it's cancer, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, a form of abuse, it doesn't matter. It's still unique to the person. Um, so, I mean, what, what was it about this particular psych this person or this interaction that gave you that sort of safety net where you you felt you could just, you know, be present with her? Um, it was almost as like as if I was just exploding with words all over the place of like feelings that I had and she was just able to like line those up hmm. in like a logical way and say, Okay, you're telling me like B B F D M Z Y, and like I'm gonna explain to you and help you understand that like it's actually A B C D E F G, and like you're not an insane person. Like you're like fighting to be alive, kind of thing. It was really difficult. The whole thing I mentioned before about feeling a little bit like attached sometimes from my friends like don't get me wrong my friends were like an incredible incredible network for me and I wouldn't have you know gone through it without them but it was hard for me to like um complain a lot I didn't really like to complain a lot because I felt like what are they supposed to say like what are they meant to say when I complain to them um you know my friends and then my psychologist it was very much just like me anything and everything and cry and and scream and whatever you need to do um feel a little bit less lost from everybody around you and um also the fact that you started off as a stranger hmm. and i'm just saying exactly how i felt and not really um guarding myself because i tend to do that yeah and empathy empathy mm. Was huge. I sometimes um, like I never wanted people to feel sorry for me, kind of thing. Like, sounds like a classic thing to say, but I just really didn't. 
Um, and I always felt this need to kind of, I was fine. Um, and even if I wasn't, my friends like sometimes pretend that I was fine, which later learned can't do when you're going through certain things. Um, but my psychologist and I just stood there and was like, Gemma, this is really, really hard. And like that acknowledgement is just so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole notion around um, positivity with cancer, the reason why I'm saying this is because I was just thinking as you were saying that um, about actually acknowledging that you're not fine and how helpful that is Um, because one of the last guests we had on, um, Kira, she, she was diagnosed recently with terminal cancer and um, she said that a lot of people would just sort of say to her like, oh, you know, you're coping so well and like it's almost like they had all the positives and they just blanked out all the, the yucky stuff and they just wanted to focus on the positives. And she said like it's terminal cancer. I know that this is not positive. There's nothing good about it. And she actually said this not on the podcast but in an email to me later. Um, she felt that the reason why people kept saying that to her and she kept getting that theme of positivity was that because it protected them and it wasn't actually anything to do with her. It was so they could think, well, if that was me in in Kira's position, I would still have a positive outlook on life. Like I would still be okay. So it gives them some hope. I don't know if you resonate with that at all. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. One hundred thousand percent that is exactly how I feel. Um I think that a lot of the time, as I said before, like the word cancer is like so you know, other. Um and most like alien from people and it's like, oh yeah, like, you know, um when you're when you're when you live to be very very old sometimes so that happens to like very old people and that's really really unfortunate and but people who are younger i'm not talking like just my age in their 40s 50s 60s um something that what happens to you others just a lot of others have no idea how to deal with it like just mm. it's like and and I don't blame them. Um, I understand. I probably wouldn't either. But the whole, exactly what you said, the whole culture of toxic positivity is, like, really so dangerous because it's like, okay, are you telling me that, oh, wow, I look really good today? Like, thanks for saying that. But Tomorrow I have chemo and then I'm going to spend next weeks like crying and in like terrible pain and not being able to sleep and like worrying whether the chemo is actually going to work and like losing my hair. So the fact that I look really good today, is, is that really relevant? Like, thanks. I appreciate it, but it's, Focusing on the positives is just, yeah, it does nothing for the person who is, who is 
going through it, it does everything for the others because I think sometimes ignoring the worst part of what is going on is um, is really the only way that some people can deal with life. Yeah, and maybe they also think maybe it's an altruistic thing as well. It probably is. They think, well, if I say to Gemma that she looks great today, oh, it will put her in a good mood. Like that's actually just doing more damage. Um, Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I think, you know, I think like a broader thing that maybe that comes down to is um, at the end of the day, fear of death, like which Mm -hmm. is what this podcast is about, like, when I told people about, like, people, um, when I was out the other day, someone's like, oh, what's your podcast on? And I was like, um, <laughs> it's like, here we go. I was like, um, <laughs> yeah. I was like um, it's on death. They're like, oh, okay. Ooh. Oh, okay. okay. Anyway, like, <laughs> yeah, it's like people just like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So people have really... Um, weird reactions they they haven't if they haven't done the processing themselves they literally don't know what to say so I remember um the night I got diagnosed um I know you had her on the podcast a little while ago Ricky Stern um yeah yeah um fave anyway the night I got diagnosed um my friend Lauren was like Kate we're FaceTiming Ricky um and the whole night like because my friends came over the night, the night that I got sick and they were with me and like the whole night, literally, I'm not even joking, all that was going through my mind and I could, and I didn't say it out loud to anyone, was like, oh my God, what if I'm dead in a few months? Like mm. literally, I remember as clear as day that and I, I never told anyone that because like, what are they meant to say? Like, what are they actually mm. going to say? They don't know. I could, I very well could have been like, um, then I FaceTimed Ricky. I was like, Ricky, am I going to die? And I remember this. I remember this so well. I don't know if she will, but I remember this. She was like, M, that's not how, that's not how we're going to do this. That's not how we're going to do this. You're, you're not going to die. You're not. I've been there. You're not going to die. You're going to think that you're going to die. That's going to be something that you're going to have to battle with every day until the end of this. And that was something that couldn't have been more right about. It was, yeah, the thought that I was going to die was every day. It was there every day. And it was not something that I felt I could ever vocalize to anyone because of just how like not necessarily I don't know if taboo is the right word but like kind of that question is just unanswerable you know mm-hmm. um I think that's really what terrifies people like death is like a is like a the end it's like full stop and it's like it's not something people are to think about then when that happens to someone who's like 23 it's like well i'm not going to tell her she's going to die i'm going to send her flowers because yeah, that's all positive. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you know um 
But yeah, I think that that's another thing talking about like how I've changed. I definitely never thought I'd think about death the way that I do now. You know, it's definitely, definitely developed. Um, do you think that the way that you think about death since you've had the diagnosis has changed? Like in the sense that do you think you've come to any more acceptance about dying earlier than you wanted to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember when my grandfather passed away, I was nine years old. And I remember how sad my dad was. Um, I remember thinking sitting with my mom and then I turned to her and I was like, mom, I don't want to die. She always tells me, like she, she's told me this a few times. And I was like, I don't want to, that's so sad. Like what, what, my life will just be over. Like, what does that, what does that even mean? Um, I remember being so scared of, of death. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm, excited for it I'm not looking forward to it or anything um I think now there was definitely a point um lymphoma you know is has an extremely for I had stage two so it's got an extremely high survival rate so death for me was very much like me focusing on the four percent of people who unfortunately don't survive from stage two lymphoma and I was of course sure that I was going to be part of that state, uh, part of this 4%. Um, I remember it was a weekend, a whole weekend from like Friday to Sunday where I think I slept a total of five hours because it was like two weeks after I was diagnosed and all I could think about was I'd almost convinced myself that I was, I was part of that 4%. And after that weekend of anxiety, I kind of just said to myself, okay, you don't know what's going to happen. No one can tell you. Not even the most educated people on this topic can tell you if you're going to die or you're going to live. You're going to die, whichever way you'd like to say it. Um, you just have to live day by day and you just have to stop worrying about tomorrow. You have to stop worrying about tonight. You have to stop worrying about yesterday. You just have to right now when tomorrow comes that will be tomorrow you worry about tomorrow tomorrow (laughs) um and I know that one day I will die um I know that it's know that it's there like I'm not the kind of person who's not being ignorant about it anymore I'm not ignoring it anymore like I know that it's there um, and I think like that acknowledgement of death um, is something that, yeah, I haven't had that ever before. Something that I've, I've accepted now. I definitely hadn't before all of this. Mm. Yeah, it zaps the terror out of it because yeah. you're closer to it. Yeah. yeah. And on that note, um, Jam, what, what do you think you wish, it's a big question, but what do you think you wish people understood about cancer? Um, maybe it's something that you didn't understand before you went through this, but 
Is, does anything come to mind? Over the years, cancer treatment has come in leaps and bounds. This might like sound as a shock, and I know it's very different, like patient by patient, by case. The whole time that I was sick, like I didn't like get sick once. I wasn't. I didn't throw up once. My friends were all like graphic detail. My friends were all like shocked by that because everyone has this image of like what cancer is in their heads. It is just nothing like that. Do you think the emotional the the emotional roller coaster or the physical roller coaster has been more tolling so far? The emotional, hundred percent. I was speaking to my mom about like you know the emotional toll that it's taken versus the physical one and the physical one to be honest is temporary like it's very just for those five months and my hair's growing back now and you know and no one will know just looking at me that I went through this that's something that I struggle with like am I supposed to tell people who I meet in the future that I had cancer like am I supposed to tell you know my future friends my future like um, workers, people that I meet, like I had cancer, um, because it's not an external thing anymore. It's a very internal thing. I think, like, sometimes I forget altogether that you know that is something that is contributing to my like mental health. It always, always will, will have like a place there. Um, and um, I'm working through it, um, but it's it's a lot to work through. Gemma, on that note, you you seem to get to the place that I'm going to ask the question at a perfect point, which is which is which is really nice. But um, in terms of your mental health, and this doesn't necessarily need to be anything to do with. Um, necessarily related to, to the diagnosis or, you know, um, the the experience in itself. But what what has the emotional side from a, from a real from the, from the pinnacle of it, the, the worst it's been emotionally? Have you got? Um, can you describe what that what that felt like or what that looked like? You know, um, you know, many people describe different periods of darkness um, that they experience. Have you got a, a sort of a darkest time or the most challenging period that, that, that you can share? Sure. Um, so I think I mentioned before that there was that weekend where I like didn't really sleep. Um, actually two periods the first period um I found like the lump on my neck and then I went to my doctor and went to hospital and then um that was on a Friday and then I only actually they had to do some tests and a biopsy um, where they test you know some cells from the tumor and I only actually got diagnosed on the Wednesday so that period between the Friday and the Wednesday was the hardest five days of my life um because obviously you don't know what you have but there's something that's there it's bad 
You have no idea what it is. No one can tell you what it is because they don't know yet. And then once I got diagnosed, um, that weekend that I spoke about, exactly the word you used, like darkness. Remember driving with my boyfriend and looking at him and thinking, I feel terrible for being with you because like what if I just die and and you've been here throughout all of this and invested in me and, and I just won't and I and I almost was certain of the fact that like I was doing something wrong by you know having this relationship. I was like, wow, well, I'm going to die. So this is terrible of me to have him invest in me. Um, and that was when, like, I really started to kind of fall into this just long, long, like, deep hole. Um, and no one could, like, get me out of it. I remember just I was lying in my parents' bed because sometimes when I need comfort, that's where I go. And my parents were downstairs, and I just remember – Staring this one spot on my parents' wall like half an hour. Mm. And I was crying and I didn't even know that I was crying. My parents came upstairs and they walked into the room and they were like, What's wrong? Why are you crying? And I I let out like the biggest wail. I've never cried that intensely my life um because i could just picture in my mind my family going on without me kind of thing um i could just almost feel like this impeding impeding sense of like doom was that it was this dark dark doom um i didn't really want to eat i couldn't sleep i didn't want to talk to my friends. Um, I just felt guilty for like anyone kind of investing. I was, you know, so certain of yeah, death. And that was that was a really, really challenging you know, two or three days. Um, and I remember on the Monday I, I spoke to an, a girl who um, one of my friends, Jono, put me in touch with who also had lymphoma and I was speaking to her and she really helped me um, better. But, what it, was there something particular that she said that helped you? Um, it was more just... The feeling of okay, well, he's been where I am, and he's okay. Like that whole weekend, um, I and I, I didn't want to look at the news because I, I didn't want to look at it, see any bad news stories or negative news stories. Um, so it was very much like 
acknowledge that there was someone else that had like gone through what I went through and was still there like three years later. That really started to kind of bring me out of it. Mm. Um, and just quickly on that, sorry to interrupt, you're going to be that person for other people when this podcast comes out. Seriously, because people are going to listen um, who might not even be able to talk about their diagnosis yet, might not have told anyone about it, might have just received it, might receive it after listening, you know, like, so it's something that I always like about. Like I, I remember once again, like going back to like Ricky, I remember looking at her and being like, wish that I was like where you are I wish that I was you know on the other side and like had gone through it and I was okay and like I I can't wait to be there but like I just don't know yet if I will be like I hadn't you know really accepted the fact that I would be or, or been able to even think about the fact that I could be um so yeah the thought that I can be that for anyone now is it's just so incredibly like heartwarming and having that got me through mm. extremely dark days um if I can be that for somebody else that's it's mm. really all I need you know mm. yeah and Gemma I'm really interested in that period where you're in your, your parents room and you um, started wailing um, and it's it there's something that sort of jumped out to me in previous conversations we've had with people on the podcast is um, it's almost that point and it's completely different circumstances but it's almost that point where you, you cross to another dimension and another another it's like a an exposed level of grief and pain that you're exerting out um or exhaling ex- exhaling out and um you know i, I mean I, it's not really a question that it's more like you know what that signifies you know i wonder if you have to get to that point to start working through that darkness you know where where yeah. things are no longer you know internal and it's it's just, it's just explosion that 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 you know yeah. that you that you yeah yeah I think um, that um I think that getting that like that you know led me to like exactly that word explode almost um I've never been there before that and I have never felt that since then um and it's it's something that I feel like is experiential and like circumstantial but at the same time I think like the brain is also so powerful and I've realized how powerful the brain is and I've had to like also in terms of just my thoughts like I've had to acknowledge that thoughts are thoughts um and thoughts you know aren't always real um but yeah I realized how powerful like brain is and that yeah yeah cause- because it, it said something about going like it, it it's it's sort of that experience is 
you're, you're pushing through it. You're you're in, in the sense that you're going through the darkness. You're not you're not stepping around it necessarily. Mm. Um, and you know, I, I don't even know. I think many mm. people maybe live. They exist with finding ways to you know we, we use the word avoidance, finding ways to step around that that process. Mm. But when, when you hit it. And you experience it; it's it can be extremely dangerous for people. People don't make it through, but you know when you do, and you're able to talk about it as if you, you know, as you've done today. You know, I always find it extremely powerful to listen to um, because that's exactly what's 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 happened. Yeah, uh, yeah. absolutely. Thank you. I yeah, I I think that I completely like feel that same thing even though you know I've experienced something like this whenever I hear someone else talk about something in their life that has been so like earth shattering um that I try and like put myself in their shoes but I'm kind of like wow this person's kind of I think I was watching some on tv the other night um about this woman who was in an abusive relationship um, and like one of the darkest times in the relationship for her. Um, I was thinking, wow, she's talking about it now, but imagine what it actually was for her, like when it actually happened. Um, and yeah, I get what you're saying. I do think that like there's a lot, a lot that happens like in people's minds that like built up and that you won't really get to see until after the after the fact you know what mm. i mean like mm. um do you think yeah, it's because really during it you're just in survival mode yeah and it's yeah. like piling up and up and up and then 100 yeah. percent. yeah mom says that like you know the hardest emotional time for me has been it was like the month of the month of June. Like I was really anxious that whole month, like more than I really was throughout my entire experience. And my mom kind of said to me, it's because this whole time you've been on like autopilot and now the body has like a chance to sit down and digest what just happened. And mm-hmm. like that's bouncing onto your brain and, you know, Give yourself a minute um, mm. because you need to sit in this for a little while. And she's right. Mm. She's right. That's, that's yeah. really, 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 that's, I mean, that's, that's sort of that high level mum advice, isn't it? That's um, mm-hmm. really special, you know, yeah. because often it's, often, it, you know, it doesn't matter who it is, but people, you know, go to that solution focus mode. They they try to be out. You know, find find ways. Try to find ways causations to to to, to assist. Yeah. Well, even the positivity thing that we're talking about is a way to avoid. Like it's just a way to suppress the fact that you actually need to sit in it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, I feel like I could speak for ages. Jim. <laughs> I know I need to be conscious of your time. Um, oh, I did no. have one one last question. 
um, I guess it, it's something we've asked um, quite a few guests, given that the topic is death and and love and, you know, hope, um, but also given your perspective on life and how that's so dramatically changed within a year. Um, I guess I'm, I'm interested in knowing, like, if if someone told you that um, you had your last day on earth and you were you were able to plan for it, what what would that plan involve? Like, any ideas that come to your mind straight away? It's gonna sound so cliche, but and probably kind of ordinary, but. I wouldn't want to be like I would just want to be with my family. <laughs> um, like family for me is the most important thing. Um, like it's just the four of us because we immigrated, um, and we are, you know, my family is like the number one thing that's me through everything and of course we have our we have our days but I think going through everything the hardest thing for me was the thought that I would prematurely separate from my parents and my sister like not be not be able to like see them again or they not be able to see me or not be able to get a hug from my mom or have a day with my sister or like go for a walk with my dad um and yeah that was the hardest to consider or not not have my like have like you know boy advice to my younger sister or or kind of thing um 100 if i had the last day on earth i would end it probably like And like, you know, going outside or going to the beach, like with my family. Mm. It sort of trickled, trickled it in, into my mind as you were talking. If if you had five, ten minutes left, and you had to do something, you had to call someone or have a conversation with somebody. Um, who would it be? What would it sound like? Um, and the reason why I'm asking this question is when I think about when I've heard Ricky speak and yourself speak and you hear that experience, that period of time where they get diagnosed, that, that, that instance in time, you know, and someone always does something in that particular time or, or, or something happens, whether, you know, they they completely freeze, or you know their 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 world disappears, you know in that instant, um, or you start fearing death, all, all those things. What what would you do? Who who would you who would you who would you contact? What would be sort of the most instinctual thing that you think you could do? If I had like five or ten minutes left on Earth. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. In a long rounded way. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
think that I would. Oh, oh my god. Oh my oh, god. That, that was weird. Oh my god. I'm sorry. Weird. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. That was weird. That was weird. <laughs> That was really weird. <laughs> maybe, maybe someone's calling you. Maybe, maybe someone. <laughs> um, I am the first. If I was told that I had like ten minutes left on Earth, I would. I'm the first, like, you absolutely freaking out. Um, and. <laughs> like just not being okay at all. And I would realize that I only had like eight minutes left and that I had to like spend a minute calling each person that I love and telling them how much I loved them. <laughs> um, that I was going to miss them. Yeah. Just chuck them all in one. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to add everyone. <laughs> and like, I would like, <laughs> I would make some kind of mental list of like my parents, my sister, my best friends, like my boyfriend, my extended family. Like I would just, I would make a list of all these people, and I'd be like, "Hey, like this person gets twenty seconds, this person gets a minute, this person gets but like." <laughs> um, I just, I would, I would end in this like chaos, being like, "Okay, bye, gotta go." <laughs> About a mom now. I love you. See you later. Bye. Yeah. Would, would you would you would you tell the particular person that you're running out of time? Because you, I mean, I'm sure you you get people that are just don't. No, no, no. Give me, a, you know, that want. Yeah. They'd be like, no, no. They'd be like, no, Gemma. I've got something to say. <laughs> I feel like I'd be like, you know what? This isn't your deathbed. This is mine. So I've got to go. <laughs> Go and take your breathing connection down. <laughs> Internet's not working. <laughs> Sorry, we're breaking up. Um, I can't hear you. So well. Gotta go. <laughs> um, yeah, no, nah, no. Nah. Some people I'd probably just like send a quick text to, like, hey, sorry. <laughs> Wouldn't want to be the one getting a text. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if people would sort of say, oh, I'll catch you later, you know. It's, well, you, you won't. But... <laughs> oh, I actually have a little, like, thing to add on that, like, catch you later thing. For some people, when I, like, got sick, um, I didn't really know what to say. So something that I said um, was, like, you know, it's not often, not the fault of the person at all, but, like, I didn't really know what to say. So they'd, they'd text me and they'd be like, better soon mm. and I remember when I got the first text that said feel better soon or like get well soon I was kind of just like oh, yeah like not really like a cold not really like, um, you know <laughs> like it's a bit different. just take some Panadol <laughs> yeah um so yeah, like some people, I think when they're faced with such you know, definitive, terrifying things, their first like 
gets to be like, oh yeah, catch you later. Oh wait, no, she's done. Oh, she's dying. I don't really. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I already said it. Whatever. Okay, I don't really know how to deal with this. You know. Um. Mm. Yeah, that catch you later thing is very relevant. Yeah, because it's sort of it is like you, you you put you know whether it's happening to you or somebody else. It's it is you put them into that chaos, and people, you know, just generally people find it difficult to react to to chaos so they all just any anything that comes out just comes out you know and on, on that note like what's something good that people can do because oh yeah like if, positive. you know like I'm not gonna, yeah, just like, Come on. <laughs> sunshine dream boost no i'm joking <laughs> but um like <laughs> No, like if 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 you were gonna like write an instruction manual for friends of someone who's going through cancer, what would be like the top recommendations on on how to talk, how to have a conversation? I think I would say I make comments about people you know who have died from this. <laughs> Potentially, that's like the number one thing. Um. Number one. Number two would be all you really have to do is acknowledge that it's I never wanted anyone to say how bad they felt for me. I never wanted like pity. I think no one wants to feel like they're being tiptoed around. That was the worst when I was like at a party or in a big group of people and I could feel people kind of like maybe talking about it. I hated that. Um, yeah. Another thing is something really helpful that some friends did was they just like literally like baked a lasagna, left it on my left it on our doorstep, and like left, and, like didn't come in. Um, and yeah, so that's number three. And with that, like, the thing I found really hard was like a surprise visit. Oh, oh. Yeah, oh cancer, it shouldn't be a surprise <laughs> four times when I was like having a mental breakdown and like one of my friends just like walked up at the door because they thought it was a nice thing to do and obviously they only have my best interest at heart and they brought donuts I literally all I wanted to do was like lie in bed and like watch Netflix and then fall asleep eating chocolate like that's all I wanted to, I didn't want to have to like entertain you know what I mean that probably mm. sounds really like, no, um, there's a theme that uh, I think everyone has said that on this podcast. Like, yes. they, they end up being when they're in the position of pain, they end up being the one who makes others feel better. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's that is, <laughs> yeah, that is a really difficult thing about it. Yeah, I really didn't want that, but that happened a lot. One thing I also like, like found, you know, was. There's this like stigma around the word cancer. It's like scary. Um, and obviously this changes from person to person, but like if you want to ask about it, like I almost got more a bit more like um awkward when people kind of like ignored it. Um, if they knew that, yeah. you know, I had cancer and they kind of like was meeting them for the first time and they were so clearly dodging it the whole time I'd be like yeah it's fine like you can I know you asked my friend about it before you came here tonight so like um 
like ask me you know like it's fine yeah don't don't put me in bubble wrap yeah yeah like I think that is a really really big one um that's probably the main things to be honest awesome yeah and I'm sure people were paying very close attention to those tips um Jim I feel like we could keep speaking for ages but I will let you go thank you so much for coming on um you spoke so beautifully. Yeah, thank you for giving your time. And I've, yeah, I really um, was listening to every word. And I, I, uh, I say this to most people, but I, I truly do mean it. I can't wait to listen to it back. Um, yeah. It's always such a profound experience for both of us. And hopefully it is for everyone that listens. I'm like honoured that you guys... Um me on honestly thank you guys so much that was making sense of chaos a podcast about death dying love grief and hope thank you for listening and we'll see you next time